0: The final person who's going to make the decision on me as a candidate for GCF Target was a board member at Target, who was my former boss at Xerox, who needs to approve my hire. So the joke was that Ann hired me twice.
1: <laughs> and that also illustrates the point we made earlier about how you're auditioning for something today that you may not even realize it may not even come to fruition until, you know, years down the line. Hi there. I'm Yamika Anderson-Howard, DNI manager at Dwayne Morris. On our Dwayne Morris DNI 360 with Joe West podcast today, our partner and chief DNI officer Joe West will have a discussion with Don Liu, executive vice president and chief legal and risk officer at Target, on cultivating the next generation of legal talent. Good afternoon, everyone. My name is Joe West. I am. Uh a partner at Dwayne Morris. I'm a member of the firm's management committee. I also have the privilege of serving as the chief diversity and inclusion officer uh, at the firm. And this is an absolute thrill for me today uh, to be able to have a conversation with uh, my friend, my mentor, uh, and one of my heroes, uh, Don Lu. Hello, Don, how are you? Hey, Joe, how are you? I'm good. Good, good to see you, my friend. Uh, Don Liu uh, probably needs very little introduction from most people, but I'll do the honors anyway. Uh, He is the Executive Vice President, uh, Chief Legal and Risk Officer at Target Corporation. He's also the Corporate Secretary for the company. Uh, In that role, he reports directly to the CEO. He's responsible for uh, all of Target's uh, legal, uh, government affairs, risk, and compliance functions. Uh, Before that, Don had uh, an illustrious uh, tenure at uh, Xerox Corporation. He was the Executive Vice President, General Counsel, uh, Corporate Secretary at Xerox. Uh, And Don, I I could be wrong, but I I think that you and Ursula Burns formed the only uh, diverse GC CEO tandem in the Fortune 500, or one of the few, if I'm not mistaken, uh, during the course of your time there. Um, Could be. You, that,
0: read, you may want to read about it in uh, in the book that Ursula just wrote. So if you want to get a little more insight into that relationship.
1: That, um, good plug. I'm glad you mentioned yeah. that. Uh, prior to that, uh, he was the senior vice president, uh, GC, and chief compliance officer at Toll Brothers. Uh, before that, senior vice president, GC, and corporate secretary at Icon Office Solutions. And Don started his in-house career uh, as the VP and Deputy Deputy Chief of Legal uh, with Aetna US Healthcare. So Don, uh, for this conversation, uh, I was trying to think of a good way to sort of provide a jumping off point. And I thought about an anecdote that happened about 10 years ago that you and I have kind of laughed about over the years. And I'll just share it quickly. Um, When I was considering uh, leaving Walmart and I was a finalist for the CEO role at uh, the Minority Corporate Counsel Association, uh, I got a call from uh, my, my mentor, your mentor, Vernon Jordan, uh, who got wind that I was considering a, a job change and uh, he wanted me to come and talk to him, went to his office, and I was, you know, kind of talking through things with him, and all of a sudden, he yelled out to his assistant, he said, Gail, get Don Lou on the phone." Well, my heart stopped because' <laughs> <you> were, <laughs> as the former chairperson of the board of MCCA the chair of the search committee, chair of the executive committee, I was interviewing with you as a finalist a few <laughs> days later. And I said, Mr. Jordan, you cannot call Don Lu, please. He said, why not? I said, because he's, he's a decision maker. I'm going to be interviewing him. And he said, hell, I'm definitely going to call him now. So he got you on the phone as I was begging him not to. And you got on the phone. I said, Don, please, no, I did not ask him to call you. And of course you were laughing and you said, look Joe, let me guess, Vernon's your mentor, right? Yes. He asked you to come see him, right? Yes. And he started getting people on the phone to talk to you, right? Yes. And just so everyone knows, you were completely above board. You said, look, I'm not gonna talk to you in detail. I know you don't want me to. You're a finalist. You have the same shot as the other finalists. Good luck and hung up the phone. We'll talk a little bit later about Vernon in detail. But I want to use that anecdote as kind of a jumping off point to the value of networking, of professional networks and how they can facilitate people's career growth and development.
0: No doubt. Um, And I've been a beneficiary of the networking and others in my network all my life, just as that example showed. right? Vernon was trying to help you. and he was going to do it in a way that was most influential as possible. Um, that's what mentors do. Um, that's what uh, great leaders do. And you and I know that Vernon had not just one phone call to make. He could have made a thousand phone calls if he really wanted to. Um, but I do think that young lawyers underestimate the power of network and You wanna build that network as early as
1: possible. And it goes deep and it should be as wide as possible. Well, you made a very good point about younger lawyers in particular. I think a lot of them are socializing and thinking that the thing that matters is keeping your head down, doing good work. And let's be clear, that doesn't matter. It certainly does matter Uh, mastering your craft, Uh, being really, really good at what you do uh, and expanding your knowledge base. But I think they do underappreciate the value of networking and particularly networking in a lateral fashion. Uh, They all think that they need to contact the GC (laughs) or the person at the top of the food chain or have some, you know, some vertical uh, connectivity. But, you know, with the fluidity that we see in the profession these days, uh, you never know who's going to end up where and how important that is. Agreed. agreed. Um, You and I have talked about this in the past.
0: Um, You should be on all the time. And that work doesn't develop just because you're having an interview with somebody or you're having a formal meeting with somebody. Um, That networking occurs every day in your social circles, um, family circles, relative circles. It happens every day. So you're really never off. Well, you might think you're
1: off at some point, but yeah. you're actually on because people are judging you all the time. No, that's absolutely right. Uh, I've often said that you're auditioning for the what's next every single day, whether you realize it or not. Um, and Don, I, I think that's a good segue to um, how you came to your current position. It, Your your story probably isn't as colorful as the one I just told (laughs) that involved Vernon, uh, but probably equally as illustrative And more comparable than you would think. Uh, It involved a board
0: member, uh, just like uh, your story did, because Vernon was sitting on the Xerox board when he called me. And not only was he sitting on the board, he happened to be one of my most important uh, board members as he was the finalist final re- interviewer for my job at Xerox. So, and the uh, most tenured uh, board member on Xerox. I got my job at Target um, a little unusual. Uh, as with most large Fortune 500 companies, typically they hire a, an external recruiter, usually it's a, an executive uh, search firm to do a GC uh, search. And in Target's case, they did. It was one of big five executive uh, search firm. And apparently they'd been on that for a while. But the call I got from Target was uh, a man who was in charge of their town acquisition. He called me directly. I didn't know who he was. Um, I knew a Tim and his name was Tim, uh, the recruiter, but the Tim that I knew from Target was my, was somebody I knew, prof, a professional acquaintance of mine who was the general counsel before me. So I thought it was Tim, my predecessor who was calling me and saying, hey, uh, Tim, how you doing? He said, no, you're th- talking the wrong Tim. So it turns out another Tim called me to ask me whether I'd be interested in becoming the general counsel of Target. And I said, well, if anything happened to my acquaintance uh, named Tim, that I would feel uncomfortable with and I don't think I'd be interested in the job and he said no oh, no he's retiring early uh you can talk to him in fact I had lunch with him eventually and it turned out that um they did their own search um HR could not reach uh could not work through the executive recruiting firm because the executive recruit firm that they were working with had placed me at xerox so they were ethically prohibited from recruiting me away so HR at Target found me through informal means. They didn't exactly tell me who they contacted, but I'm sure they made phone calls. I'm sure they went uh, through their network of people and asked, who would you recommend for the job? And my name kept popping up was the story. And that's how I wound up with getting a call from uh talent and acquisition team at, uh, at Target. Let me tell you about the board connection. Just as you had a board connection um, through Vernon and me, um, the final person who's going to make the decision on me as a candidate for GCF Target was a board member at Target. Her name was Ann Mulcahy, who was my former boss at Xerox, who, wow. who was Ursula's uh, predecessor. And she, at that time, sat all, uh, on the board as the chair of the HR and Comp committee who needs to approve my hire. So the joke was that Anne hired me twice.
1: <laughs> well, and that also illustrates the point we made earlier about how you're auditioning for something today that you may not even realize it may not even come to fruition until, you know, years down the line. Um, and so let's let's apply this. And Don, you know me well enough to know that I'm going to ask you questions that we didn't even cover in our prep session. So <laughs> here we here here we go. Uh, there are people listening to us and watching us right now who aren't necessarily connected to you know the late great Vernon Jordan or others who could make calls of that nature. Uh, they are either people at a point in their career where they can be and will be the beneficiaries of someone who gives them some mentoring and support, or they themselves are providing the mentoring or support for people within their organizations. So I'll ask you two sides of the same question. What are the most important things, one or two things, that someone relatively junior in their career needs to be focusing on with respect to their ability to develop their career to develop as leaders in this profession? And then what should peers of yours, other uh, general counsels or a level below the general counsels, what should they be doing to help grow and develop that talent base within their respective organizations? Does that make sense? It does. Um, so let me
0: use an example. Um, two days ago, I was having a drink with another Asian American in-house lawyer who moved, to Minneapolis from Philly. And as you know, my roots are deep in Philly, uh, where that's where my um, career began and stayed for a long time before moving to New York. He came to see me because one, he was new to Minneapolis and so he wanted to get to know what a Minneapolis was like, but more importantly, um, came to thank me. He came to thank me because he wound up getting my help in getting his first in-house job. And I forgot about that, frankly, because I knew him well back in Philly, but I forgot about the moment when he asked me, Don, I have my first opportunity to go in-house. What should I be doing now? And how should I approach my interview process? And I remember uh, driving on a highway, I was on a call with him for about an hour, going through the whole process of typical, as to what happens in a in, in house hiring. And now he wound up getting even a bigger job at a bigger company that moved him from Philly to Minneapolis. So there are two uh, points to that which answers your question, I think, which is when you're, and he was a much junior lawyer at the time when he first got my help, um, look for helpers supporters, advisors, mentors, in your own circle. Who are the Mm. people who are really around you? And he, like I, did uh, a smart thing. I I started my networking process primarily from local chapter of Napaba. Who are the people who are Asian-American lawyers that I can uh, get to know and uh, get help from? He did the same thing. He got to know me through The Philly chapter of Napaba, and just kind of we didn't know each other well, but we got to know each other. And then when it was time for him to um, get help, he just knocked on my door and said, "Would you be willing to help?" And I said, "Of course." And I I I spent—I swear—one hour of my time while I was driving. So therefore, I didn't—it wasn't like he was intruding on me on a meeting of some sort, right? Right. Yet he said it was instrumental in getting him his first in-house job and off he went in his career. Now he's in my town and I'm sure I'll see him fairly regularly uh, as he transitions with his wife into Minnesota. That's one. The flip side of that question, it took me only one hour of my time while I was driving to help a young lawyer to do that which I knew really well because by the time i was at xerox how many people had i hired what am i looking for and what should he be doing on on the other side of the interview it, it took so little on uh on me to really help a, a young lawyer out by the way most people in my position will do what i did which is if you knock, if somebody knocks on your door your tendency is to help sometimes they're too busy they some may not but most are just like me, I'm I'm flattered that somebody's actually looking for help from me. Of course I'll help.
1: Well, well, I've been the beneficiary of a Don Lu hour of help. So I understand how valuable that was and I appreciate it. Um, So Don, you mentioned NAPAVA. I know that you've been involved with NAPAVA, MCCA and other organizations where you've given of yourself. Uh, It's very interesting. We mentioned Vernon, he started off as a civil rights lawyer and then became very influential in corporate circles. Uh, Talk briefly about the value and the ability when you're in a position like yourself to do good and do well at the same time and how important that is and why it's increasingly something that I think people look to. Um, uh,
0: Vernon became my mentor for a whole host of reasons. Uh, I went to law school to be a civil rights lawyer just like he was when he started out his career. I wound up being a corporate lawyer um, by accident. Um, It was a financial need that took me initially to uh, corporate law, and I just liked it after a while. Um, What he meant from my perspective was everything that was personal, professional, um, in a way that I looked up to him. But more importantly, he solidified what was starting to become my pattern of behavior which is to become influential through network Mm -hmm. and when i saw his life i said he only not only um confirms my approach to life he is somebody who i should emulate so i'll never be able to emulate vernon's life most people cannot right but um it solidified what was kind of an inkling that 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 I had about the importance of network. Um, Vernon was an important figure to just about everybody. And up until uh, he passed away, he was an advisor to every president in the country. In his 80th birthday, every president on both aisles showed up to celebrate his birthday. That's how influential. He was. But that didn't just come about. It was it was the selfless willingness to help everybody, including presidents of the United States, who sought out his advice.
1: And, you know, speaking of this whole subject matter, uh, I want to talk briefly while we have time about uh, the Alliance for Asian American Justice, an organization that you helped get off the ground. Um, I remember calling you up after, the, in the wake of George Floyd and all of the sort of, sort of like Minneapolis being sort of like the center of a lot of unrest just to check on and see how you were doing. But even after that, sort of like the, the backlash against members of the Asian American community. Talk about that organization and, and its inception and why you've been involved with it. Yeah,
0: um, it's become really personal for me. Um, as the number of Asian-Americans who were being victimized uh, based on hate crimes, a lot of people were talking about it and very few people felt like that, that, that was, it was too big of an issue to help, what do we do? And there was a lot of talk, not enough action. So my buddy Wilson Chu and I, as you know, often, uh, come up with ideas. Wilson's the idea guy. I'm the guy who has to verify whether it's a good idea or a bad idea. And Wilson does come up with some bad ideas, by the way. I hope he's listening. <laughs> um, <Yeah. laughs> but it took me five minutes of Wilson's call on a Saturday earlier this year to realize this is it. Okay? He said, why don't we figure out a way to pro bono network of lawyers who could help these victims? And it was so obvious, right? There were plenty of Asian American former prosecutors now at big firms uh, who are able to help um, anti-Asian uh, victims, hate victims. And it was just a matter of putting them together. So what I did was um, come up with that idea and try to execute it. I recruited a bunch of Asian American GCs to be able to come together, write a letter on our behalf to the law firms asking for help we're now more than 90 law firms all across the country covering every major city in America with many uh, victims who are now benefiting from pro bono work, uh, helping them from first, uh, what are their legal rights? Do they pursue criminal civil rights? Uh, What other types of legal issues do they have? Some of them have immigration issues, uh, trust in estates uh, issues that they need help and Uh, it is precisely for these reasons we went and asked for large law firms to contribute their pro bono time. And it's been
1: fantastic. Well, I mean, that's a testament to the person that you are and uh, number one, but also to the fact that we need that kind of thing right now in the profession. We have a little bit over three, three and a half minutes left. So uh, one thing I want to talk about briefly, Don, is this. Um, You know, I I left Walmart, became the CEO of the Minority Corporate Council Association organization, influential in the diversity and inclusion space. 10, maybe 15 years ago, the level of fluency, the desire for um, understanding around diversity and inclusion in the corporate sector, particularly the corporate legal sector, really just had a few outliers out there. It's gaining more traction. It's gaining more momentum now. It's finally getting the sort of attention that that people like yourself and my and myself and others have been working for for a long time. What do you think is the reason for that and where do you think we're headed in, in this space? Just so that I understand. So, uh, your question is specifically about what? About uh, the, the focus around inclusion and inclusiveness in the corporate legal sector and the corporate sector. Uh, yeah. even before George Floyd, we were moving in that direction. Yeah. I think that's uh-huh. been accelerated. I think in the last- Where do you think we are and where do you yeah, think we're headed?
0: I think in last year, it has accelerated. It's certainly gotten more attention, which is well-deserving. It's not that before that it hasn't been around. You and I, I spent years at MCCA trying to do this um, and have had tremendous success. But I do think that we're at a different level of focus and interest in the last year. Um, I think people have come to realize the racial inequity issues are not just talk. It has real consequences and sometimes it has uh, life and death consequences. So I think companies like Target and others have really decided to do something about it in a way that's more than about just talk. Um, at Target, we've committed to uh, increasing our Black team members by 20%. Um, other companies have had similar uh, a different type of, of programs that are now in place. and. Similarly, at the legal departments across the country, they're conforming to their larger corporate initiative to, to, to focus on DNI, uh, both internally and externally. Here at Minnesota, we've decided to disclose our own DNI stats. A lot of legal departments don't. We ask law firms to do it. You and I spent time trying to get law firms to disclose and to do uh, more about the DNI but frankly, a lot of legal departments don't do it. We decided to voluntarily disclose it. Number of large companies that joined and hopefully we'll proliferate that view of transparency and responsibility.
1: Well, so much of what you've done over the course of your career as a leader has sort of pollinated throughout the profession. Uh, listen, Don, I, I wanna tell you what a privilege it's been to connect with you. We talk offline a lot. Uh, I will say publicly what I say to you privately all the time. Uh, I have so much love and respect and appreciation for what you've meant to me in my career and to the profession at large. So thank you for making time for this conversation.
0: Thanks, Joe. And so glad that uh, this particular event has given us an opportunity to not only do this interview, but also to catch up with each other during the interview, uh, during the prep process. So it's been great, Joe. Thanks, Don. Take care. Bye you. Yeah.